Hello, Eastside family. Kids can now go to junior worship. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua 7. Don't forget your offering. I am your new AI virtual preacher, replacing Eddie. Who needs Eddie? Hey. <laughs> Uh, let's let our kids, if you didn't understand what our new virtual minister was trying to say, let's let our children ages two years old through first grade make their way to junior worship. We got a lot of guests here, and so just follow. If you have children that age, follow the crowd. The rest of you do what he said. Take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 7. That's what we'll be looking at today. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship to God. is the offering that we bring to God every Sunday. And we make it possible for you to present your offering and your worship to God in four different ways. You can mail a check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. You can go online to our website. There's a box on the homepage that says give. Follow the easy instructions. Or if you're here in person, you can drop your contribution off at the box on the way out. And just want to say we so much appreciate the... Um, your faithfulness and the offerings that you give. And I spoke to those of you who are in person. If you're not here in person, but you're here streaming with us today, and we know there's a number of you, we just are absolutely honored and humbled to have you with us today. So I think it goes without speaking, if you pay attention to the news, one of the hottest items that we're hearing a lot about is what's called AI. And it's artificial intelligence. And it's basically the intelligence of software and computers that they're able to do things like have computers that can play chess. Self-driven cars. Now they can even lead a complete worship service. I was reading, I don't know if you noticed in the paper, but it was also online of a, of a church in Germany. And they had a completely virtually led AI generated church service. They had avatar like individuals like you saw here leading leading the, the songs, leading the church and reciting the Lord's Prayer. And they even had a virtual avatar delivering a sermon through the use of ChatGPT. You can go to the website, ChatGPT. I did it, not, not for today's sermon. You can type in, give me a sermon on Joshua chapter 7. And in less than 60 seconds, you've got a sermon on Joshua 7 that's pretty decent. Introduction, three points, and, and a conclusion. It, it's an incredible experience. And so, while there is a lot of enthusiasm about AI and how it is improving or will improve our lives, there's a lot of concerns about artificial intelligence controlling our lives or maybe invading the privacy of our lives or maybe taking over our lives, taking over our jobs and replacing humans. Who knows? Maybe, maybe this guy will, will be our, our, our preacher someday in the future. But what I want to talk to you about today is another form, a dangerous and unhealthy form of AI, of artificial intelligence. And here's what I mean by that. It's an artificial intelligence that is man-made, that of human origin, and it's slowly replacing divine intelligence that's given to us by God in scripture and it's an artificial intelligence that's creeping into churches across our nation and it's a creeping into the lives of Christians 
So as we're following the story of God's people, we're in the book of Joshua. They're called the Israelites, if you're new to the Bible story. We come to a chapter 7 in the story. It was the story of the Israelites when they were defeated by the people of the city of Ai. Now while the name of this city Ai has no relation to our modern term Ai, it actually means in Hebrew a heap of ruins, which there may be something to that as well. In this story of the defeat of the Israelites at Ai, there are some very powerful lessons in helping us to face, to confront, and to correct this religious artificial intelligence that's so influential in our nation and in our lives today and in churches. So let's look at the story in Joshua chapter 7. I'm not going to read it. It's a long chapter. You do that in your life groups or on your own. I'm going to tell you the story. So just to pick up where we were, we've already been up to this point. As we've seen in previous lessons, the Israelites have finally entered the land that God has promised them. They began their campaign of taking and settling the land of Canaan. And so as chapter 7, our chapter for this morning opens up, they are psyched. They are, they're excited. They're on the heels of an incredible victory that they experienced in the defeat in the battle of Jericho. But now as we see in chapter 7, they face their first and only defeat in their conquest of the land of Canaan. And it was against the city of Ai. So it's really important. They had this incredible victory. And immediately on the heels of that, there was, there was a huge defeat. Total surprise to God's people. And there's an important lesson to notice that. So often, at a time of incredible victory over something in your life, it can be one of your moments of greatest vulnerability setting you up for defeat because you had this sense of dropping your guard. Having a sense of confidence from your past victory. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, we read and referring back to the history of the Israelites as, as an example for us, we read in chapter 10 and verse 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We should never let past victories think, cause us to think that we're immune to defeat. But there's an also an important lesson here in this story of the defeat of the Israelites at Ai. It wasn't because of forces on the outside. It wasn't because of the people of Ai or anything else around them. It was because of forces on the inside, as we're going to see in this story. And that's an important notice to also take note of because too often when something goes wrong in our lives, we look to the outside to blame our problems when the truth is too often the problem is on the inside. It's us or it's me. And that's actually a, a, a form of artificial intelligence that too often we live by. The problem isn't me when actually it is. So that was the case here in this story. So in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, after we read of their defeat, in verse 5 we read, And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. You see this incredible shift in their emotions. They've, they're on the heels of this amazing high of a victory in Jericho. And now they, their hearts are melted. They're in fear. Fear has returned. And so after this embarrassing defeat, Joshua tears his clothes, we read in this story. He's in despair. He falls to the earth with his face to the ground. And he says to God, why? Why did you allow us to 
Why did you bring us all the way here into the land of Canaan? Why did you tell us, I've given you this land only for us now to face this huge defeat? Why did you let this happen? And so we learn here that Joshua is human after all. Isn't it typical that when something goes wrong in our lives, our our impulse is to blame someone else Or often we blame God. Why did you let this happen? Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 3. It's a powerful truth that says a person's own folly leads to their ruin. Yet their heart rages against the Lord. We mess things up by our own decisions, by our own behavior. But then we in turn blame God and say, God, why do you let this happen? That's exactly what's happening in this story. This wasn't God's fault. This isn't something that God let happen. This was their fault. This was something that they caused. And so as you read on in the story, this is what God says to Joshua. He says, you need to understand the reason for your current defeat. Joshua, and I'll just summarize what he says to Joshua, is because there is sin in the camp. And now you've got to back up a little bit and put this story in historical context. You remember in chapter 6, As they were preparing to go to battle against Jericho, they were told, all right, when you go into Jericho, I want you to take no souvenirs. I want you to take no spoils of war. Everything that there is in Jericho, that is to be given to God, that is to be devoted to God. So then you open up into chapter 7 and tells us of a guy named Achan who took the spoils, some spoils, for himself. He found a beautiful coat, a cloak. Be nice for his wife. He took some silver and some gold. And we read here in Joshua chapter 7 that he hid them in the ground in his tent, thinking, no one will ever know. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy how we can pretend with one another and crazier that we can pretend with God when there's something in our lives that we are hiding. Something that is destructive not only to ourselves, but to others. And we're thinking, well, nobody knows. It's a form of artificial fake intelligence that we fall for, that we live for by this mistaken idea that we can hang, hide things in our lives thinking that we're hurting no one when actually we're not only hurting ourselves, we're hurting others, we're hurting God and we're thinking the whole time nobody knows what's going on but God actually does and the crazy part about it, a lot of other people probably do even though we think they don't. They just don't have the guts to come and tell us and in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23 we read, you can be sure your sin will find you out so let me ask you something do you identify with Achan here is there something in your life that you're hiding if yes then I want you to hear what I have to tell you instead of getting caught which is what we're going to see in this story I want you to know You can openly come to God and openly come to others. And you know what will happen when you come with whatever it is that you're hiding? You're going to find a God who loves you 
and of people who love you and are here to help you and to forgive you. Or you can do what Achan did and you can just keep playing the game of pretend. So in verse 13, we read that God said to Joshua, he said, and this is probably, if there's a key verse in this chapter, it's in verse 13. He says, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel, meaning there's some stuff that's hidden here that needs to be dealt with. There are some devoted things. He's talking about what Achan had, although Joshua didn't know it at this point. There are devoted things in your midst. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. I've got that underlined in my Bible. That's kind of like, that is to me a key point that God is telling the Israelites, that God is telling us today. Listen, you cannot expect me to work powerfully in your life, to bless you and to give you victory in your life while you have these things hidden in your life while you're pretending there's stuff in your life that needs to go before we can take one step forward further and so we read in verses 14 through 18 that through this it's very interesting you see it all throughout scripture through this interesting process of casting lots. And that's kind of like a divinely guided way of, of drawing straws. God was working through this. Through the casting of lots, we read that God revealed to Joshua and the people who took these hidden spoils of war. And the lot fell upon Achan. And so Achan confessed. There's a lot to learn from his confession, but there's one problem with his confession. He confessed... After he got caught. So Joshua sent some people to his tent. And they dug up what was hidden underneath there. And they brought it out. And then they took Achan. As you continue to read through the remainder of the story. They, take it, they took his sons and his daughters. This is interesting. There's no mention of his wife. Don't know where she is in the story. They took Achan and his family. They took his sheep and his donkeys and they stoned them to death and they burned them with fire that's a hard story I didn't get up in the morning I can't wait to preach this it's just the next chapter in Joshua one thing for certain that we see here God is no respecter of persons we just saw in chapter 6 a painful story of the destruction of the inhabitants of Jericho, the Gentiles. But God didn't say, forget that, these are my Israelites. We protect them. No, we see punishment even upon the Israelites as well. And then the story comes to an end where God has them take a big pile of rocks and stack it over Achan and his family. There remains. And it says in the passage here that those stones remain here today. Actually, I've told you this before. There are four, and now after I've, as I'm preparing for next week's lesson, I think there's more than four stone memorials that we're going to see. We've already seen two of them. Now we've seen the third one. And while this is a painful story, you'd rather me not preach. This is a painful story we would like to forget. God said, I want you to put a stone memorial here. I want my people to see this. I want this story in the Bible because I want you to never forget this. Why? 
Why does God, what does God want us to see and learn from this story? I'm, there's probably a ton of stuff here. No, there is. This is actually a very rich chapter. I'm just going to give you three things here that stood out to me. And you can unpack more of it on your own or in your life groups. In this hard, sobering story, I find three truths to help correct AI. An artificial intelligence that too many people, even in the church world, have fallen for and are living by. The first is this. Here's the first piece of artificial intelligence. Number one, my life is no one else's business but my own. And it doesn't affect others. Wrong. That's artificial intelligence. When you read this chapter completely, you're going to notice this while it was this guy, Achan, who committed the sin. Listen to the words of how it describes what happened. It says in verse 1 of chapter 7, the people of Israel broke faith. Israel has sinned. They, this is plural, do you notice this? They have transgressed. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen they have turned their backs. One man's sin is described in plural as though it's the sin of all of Israel. God saw them as a, as a unified entity, as a corporate body. One man's life affected the whole community. As a matter of fact, in verse 6, it's really sad because of what Achan did. 36 men lost their lives. And it didn't have to happen. Now, here's, a, here's an interesting piece of the story that you may be troubled with, and if you are, because I was troubled with it. What are you doing with the kids in this story? This was Achan. Why were his children punished? Some will say they weren't, but I think the text is pretty clear that they were. Because, listen, here's part of the problem. In Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 16, we read, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their children. Fathers, each one shall be put to death for his own sin. This leads me to believe that these kids were not like infants or preschoolers, but these were older children of Achan's who were complicit in Achan's sin. Otherwise, I do not believe they would have been punished. And so, fathers, take note of this. Your influence upon your children can be to your children's destruction. Never, fathers, underestimate the influence you have upon your children. You may be thinking they're too young to notice, they don't see what's going on, that you're shielding them for what you're doing, but you've got to know they are watching, they're listening, and they are learning. That was in the case of Achan and his family. And there's a book that I've been reading that accompanies my, my studies through Joshua. It's written by a Scottish preacher, His name is, and he's an author. His name is Alan Redpath. And in his book on Joshua, from this story, he wrote these words, and I'm just going to read to you quotes from his book on this chapter he says no individual Christian can sin without affecting the whole church no child of God can grow cold in his spiritual life without lowering the temperature of everybody else around him the victory of the whole community depends on the victorious life of every individual church member let no Christian ever think that she or he doesn't matter let nobody imagine that she or he can be lost 
in a crowd and forgotten. My life is my business. No one else's business but my own. It's not affecting or hurting others. Wrong. That is artificial intelligence. Could it be that there's someone here? Or could it be that there is a family that is holding down this whole community? It happened here. Could that be you? Could that be me? Could your disengagement from the church body not be, well, I'm just kind of hanging on the fringe here. Could that actually be creating a discouragement through everyone? Could your sin, whatever it may be, be like a yeast that is spreading through the church and that's the reason that is holding us back from where God wants us to be? Is this just a, a, a story in antiquity that's not relevant or does it have relevance and application to us today and just in case it hadn't gotten difficult let me read this to you this is Alan Redpath this Scottish guy and actually his his book is just these are his sermons that were put to a a book and so what you what you're reading are, are are the sermons that he preached to his church in Scotland and so from this story He made this bold statement to his church. My fellow Christians, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bid you with all the love I have in my heart for you, either get right with God or leave his house. Maybe some subtractions from the membership role would be the first step toward victory in many a church. Strong words to his church. There's two more areas of artificial intelligence this story corrects us in, and it's regarding God's holiness and man's sinfulness. If there's one thing we learn, and we've sung about it today especially, it's about the holiness of God in contrast to the sinfulness of man. Religious artificial intelligence tells us, secondly, God overlooks my sin, and God is unaffected by my life. I noticed in my October 18th, 2022 journal entry as I was reading through Joshua, I read what I wrote in, um, from my readings of chapter 7. And I'll just share these words with you. And I quote, clearly, this is not a story I'm comfortable with. I guess if I was comfortable with it, that wouldn't be good. But not being comfortable with it doesn't mean it isn't true. And it doesn't allow me to reinterpret to make it more comfortable. Though I wrestled to understand and agree with stoning from my human point. This was, I was really having a hard time with, with that part. Like, really? We're going to stone them? So I was wrestling with God in my journal on this. Though I wrestle to understand and agree with stoning from my human point of view, this doesn't mean it's wrong and that God is cruel. It just reveals my limited understanding and capability to fully grasp God. Perhaps in heaven I'll understand. My lack of grasping the severity of the punishment means that I simply don't grasp the extremity of God's righteousness and holiness and the extremity and severity of man's unrighteousness and unholiness. I underestimate God's holiness and man's sin. End of quote. 
And so we read in chapter 7 and verse 1 that because of what happened, it says the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. God was affected by what had happened. And I can understand people struggling with this story as I did. It shows us a side of God that we don't want to see. You don't want me to preach about a story we'd just prefer to kind of suppress. I can understand an unbeliever that's here this morning and an unbeliever saying, I'll go home and read Joshua chapter 7 and walking away from it going, are you serious? This is the God you believe in? Because in all transparency, when I was reading this again uh, in my, in last year when I was studying through Joshua, I said to myself, seriously, Eddie, this is the God you believe in? But church, the problem with this story that we have is that it doesn't fit the artificial intelligence that we have created of God. A preconceived picture which we have painted in our own minds through a mistaken, perverted understanding of God's love, grace, and compassion. I have to ask myself as I struggle with this story, do I really know God and His holiness and His love? Some will say, well, man, I tell you what, the God of the Old Testament that I see here is not the Jesus of the New Testament. To which I would say, you don't know, then, Jesus. You see, church, I believe this, that God has given this story because of his love, because of his grace, because of his compassion, not wanting us to face defeat in self-destruction. This story reveals to us the absolute holiness and righteousness of God that cannot turn a blind eye, which we would not want, would not want him to, to the sin of man. The light of God's holiness cannot abide the darkness of man's sin. And thirdly, the third piece of artificial intelligence that is corrected in this story, artificial intelligence in our day and time today tells us that Sin is an antiquated concept not to be regarded as serious. As a matter of fact, you don't even need to use that word in a sermon. But do you notice, I want you to notice as you read through this chapter the descriptions of what happened. In chapter 7 and verse 1, he is described as having broken faith. In chapter 7 and verse 11, we read that they have stolen and lied. In chapter 7 and verse 15, we read he has transgressed the covenant. It says in verse 15, he has done an outrageous, that's what my ESV says, an outrageous, English Standard Version uh, translation. He has done an outrageous thing. And so the generation of our day would say, woe to that. You shouldn't be judging like that. That's a bit extreme. You need to lighten up. He didn't break faith and transgress. I mean, he still goes to church. You don't need to say that he was lying and stealing. All right, so he took a few souvenirs from Jericho. Big deal. He can always return them. That is, that is artificial intelligence. My sin to God is described here as outrageous. And then the punishment shows this. They were stoned to death and then burned. And I, I'd like, I'm thinking, do we have to do that? 
Can you not just say, don't do that again? Can you not just kick them out of the community of Israel? Can you not just put them in prison for 10 years? And if you got to kill them, can you not just like give them a lethal injection? Can you not do like you did with Ananias and Sapphira and just give them a fatal illness to take their lives? The severity of the punishment shows us the severity of sin that we've lost sight of in our generation. I underestimate, and I would say most of us underestimate, the danger and severity of all sin. And so if you have a problem with this story, and I get that if you do, you're really going to have a problem with the story of the flood in Genesis. (laughs) You will. It's not a story of a sweet little man named Noah who took a bunch of animals on a cruise. If you have a problem with the story, this story, you're going to have a problem with the story of the flood, and then you're really going to struggle with the words of Jesus, sweet Lamb of God, Jesus in the New Testament, and His descriptions of hell, all of which are God's descriptions of punishment for sin. And if you have a problem with this story, then trust me, you're really going to wrestle when you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and you read the story of the cross. You want to talk about severe and harsh. It's the cross. So that's out of the darkness. That's where the story's leading us because I know right now it's like nobody's smiling. But this story, out of all of the hard difficulty of this story and the pain of this story, out of the darkness of this story, it is leading us to the light of Jesus and the good news of the gospel. What Jesus endured on the cross by his death was just as severe and harsh as the stoning we see here or perhaps I would say even more severe and harsh. It too is hard to read. But God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to face the severity of our sins. And so he came to the earth to take that upon himself because the extremity of his love for us far outweighs the extremity of our sin. So to be baptized into Christ and accepting him as your savior and being forgiven of your sins is not God saying, oh big deal it's okay no it's a huge deal it's outrageous it's God taking your outrageous sin and your your punishment upon himself that's the gospel That's, that's incredible and so after the Israelites dealt with their sin in the camp the story closes In chapter 7 and verse 26 with these words, Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. The good news of the gospel is that what Jesus did for us on the cross turned away God's anger from us. And he took it upon himself and poured out upon us his love. Now, there's one more thing. I I just think i got to toss this in. Because I think it's too significant and it'll help set the stage for us to enter into our prayer time. 
I think it's really interesting. When you go to chapter 7, is it chapter 7? No, excuse me. It's chapter 6. When you go to chapter 6 and you see this, wow, victory in Jericho. They, they, They defeated the enemy. It is preceded by this story of Joshua in deep prayer with God. You know, the commander of the army of the Lord, we talked about that. Here he is in prayer with God, and following that time of prayer with God, there's incredible victory. Next week, we're going to see an incredible victory of God's people as they go to battle, and preceding that victory that they, they, they experience with their enemy in battle, we're going to see in chapter 8, the first verse, that there Joshua is again with God, deep in prayer. But it's interesting, in the only story where the Israelites face defeat, there's no indication prior to this event of Joshua praying to God. And I can't help but wonder because we know that the anger of the Lord was burning against his people for what had happened and I can't help but wonder had Joshua been before the presence of God prior to this event here at Ai, would he have picked up on God's emotions because God always reveals them. And would God have given him instructions and told him what had happened? And therefore, this incident could have been averted. I can't help but wonder, was there with Joshua a neglect of humbling himself before God in prayer? With this, after the victory of Jericho, man, I got this. Church, one of the greatest ways to combat the dangers of artificial intelligence creeping into our lives and creeping into the church is the divine intelligence God gives us as we live in his presence in prayer. We're called to walk in his presence in prayer. Let's stand together and do that now as we pray. So Father, I wipe my brow as I'm finished with this sermon. It's a hard story. But I thank you that through the darkness of this story, it points us to the light of the gospel. And so, Father, I pray for those who are here or who are watching live streaming who've never received you as Lord and Savior. May may they hear your call from this story to come to you and accept by faith what you took on their behalf to give their lives to you. And Father, for those of us with hidden things in our lives, may we hear from this story a call to come to you and and come to one another in open and honest confession to quit pretending and quit hiding that we may find mercy, help, and forgiveness. And Father, as we see in this story, a story of repentance, of something that was sinful among the the community of Israel that needed to go. May you show us what it is in our lives that we're holding on to, that's holding on to us now. It needs to go. And though it's painful, and though it's radical, like this story is painful and radical, show us what you'd have us to do with this. And give us a fearless courage to rid ourselves of whatever it is that is holding us as individuals and as a church back, that you might position us to move forward as a mighty force in your kingdom. And so in this moment of silence, would you reveal to each one of us as individuals 
what your word to us is through this story. Father, we continue now in prayer with this song we lift up to you. And, and I just want to say to those of you here that are carrying a heavy burden, whatever it may be, this is a chance to reach out to someone and pray with them. Our shepherds are here to pray with you. They'll make themselves available, but there's not enough shepherds to go around with the number of people here. And so if there's something that you're carrying on your heart, reach out and ask someone to pray with you. Or if you know someone that needs your prayers, I want to encourage you to, to gather around them and pray with them. Let's offer this time in prayer to God. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.